Hey there, this is Laura Redman, and this is Condé Nast Traveler's Travelogue Podcast. I am happy to have a table full of women here today. We have Lale Arakoglu, Jordi Lippi-McGraw, and Meredith Carey, all editors with CNT Digital. And it is, what day is it? We're taping on Wednesday because of Snowmageddon 4.0. That didn't turn out exactly to be quite so Snowmageddon-y, but right. we'll take it. We'll take it. Winterstorm Stella, thank you. Uh, we are taping Wednesday, whatever, and we're airing on Friday. Yes. So... What we're really here to talk about, though, is something that happened last week. It was International Women's Day on March 8th. It was a big day around the world, and uh, we launched a pretty big package that day, Women Who Travel. So, you know, I feel a little sad that we need to create a whole moment around this. I feel like it should just be a given that we are talking all the time about different trends for women. But, you know, it's important that we call it out, and we have a lot of really great stories on the site right now from everyone from Padma Lakshmi on why she travels to, you know, 13 pioneers in female travel. Amelia Earhart is just one of them. The 80 years of kind of sexism and sophistication of, from stewardesses to flight attendants, you know, the evolution of the flight attendant. Um, and also a lot about solo travel. That was a topic that came up when we were doing research. Actually, I'd love to start there. Jordi, you wrote about it. I know we had Mary, you wrote a little bit about it too. Um, Solo travel isn't new, right. right? Correct. But there are more companies catering to women who are traveling solo. Is this a moment? Is this a trend? What's going on? Well, I was able to talk to a number of different tour groups. And what I found when I was speaking with them was that they noticed individually that more and more women were, were traveling alone and not only traveling alone, but they were looking for more adventurous types of travel. So um, I spoke with REI Adventures, for example, and they said that women were taking their you know precious time off, which we don't have a lot of because we're all working and using it to, you know, learn how to climb a mountain or going on like a hundred mile bike ride for their vacation. So it's not so much that um, eat, pray, love kind of solo soul searching vacation anymore, but a lot more adventurous and kind of hands on and a little more rugged. And um, it's not like it was something where it was like, hey, everyone's into leisure now or staycations. It's, it seemed like it was a genuine sort of trend that was happening that all of these different companies picked up on. And, and the stats showed it that it was more women travelers showing up solo than men and actually they were more keen to be doing more adventurous types of travel so they started to create new programs especially this year that allowed women to kind of go together and maybe have a safer environment but still a space to be able to try something new i think the cop-out kind of would be to say that this is like a wild inspired trend yeah, i was gonna ask i mean how much does wild play into this i mean so in Jordy's story, she talks about how traffic on the PCT doubled in 2014, which is the year of the film's release. And I think that, yes, it probably has some influence. But as we've seen in our commenters on Facebook over the last week, solo female travel is not new. People and women have been doing it for as long as there has been travel, which we also saw in that Pioneer story. It just is becoming easier, one, because of how interconnected our world is now. And all of these groups that are catering now towards female adventurers are giving even more of an outlet for women to step out of their comfort zones, which I think everyone is looking for when they travel. Have you guys traveled solo a ton? I have. Yeah? Yes. And do, you, so, do you prefer it? Yes and no. 
I don't like traveling in large groups. I like traveling with maybe one or two other people. Last year, I went to Italy alone and then met my brother halfway through. And I think that was perfect because I had enough time to kind of sit. I didn't have to do anything I didn't want to. I got to choose my own itinerary. I didn't have to go along with other people's plans. I could really just happily sit in my Airbnb all day and take a nap. I could go out and eat. I could drink a glass of wine by myself and read my book. I could do whatever I wanted. And I think that whether you're a woman or not, that is just the difference between traveling alone <laughs> and traveling with someone that you kind of have to compromise with. I think there's something valuable in like taking that time to just be alone in a crowd. I actually had to travel a lot for work a few years ago by myself and I was in situations so it wasn't like I could relax in an Airbnb <laughs> like I was there to work but I found myself in a number of situations where I kind of just had to do it on my own. You know I got stuck in the Dominican Republic in a driving rainstorm with no GPS and had to figure out my way to the hotel and use a cow as a landmark at one point to know that I was going the wrong way and like you know I stopped and I cried hysterically thinking that I was going to get kidnapped but then I made it to the hotel and it was moments like that where traveling alone I was like you know it was just all on me and to be able to figure that out I think there's a huge lesson in that even if it's not just traveling and soul searching right. but really kind of problem solving and and being on an adventure empowering. alone yeah yeah I think it's really empowering to be by yourself and having to figure something like that out small problems like you know public transit mm -hmm. things that if you don't know the language you either have to talk to someone about or figure it out on your own what are some of the realities of solo travel though I mean what should we be concerned about traveling to specific destinations? I know my argument is always that some places are just unsafe, period, man or woman. But am I being dismissive? You know, am I missing a point? I don't know. Have you guys ever been, you know, afraid to travel somewhere? I haven't been afraid to travel somewhere. I've been afraid in places I've been traveling, and that's included Paris. So I don't think it necessarily is limited to places that are sort of, in quotes, dangerous. You know, when I was in Paris, a man followed me back to my hotel room and tried to get in. And that's a reality that women traveling have to face that men don't necessarily have to. And I think one of the great things about these different companies starting to cater more and more towards women who are already traveling by themselves and maybe are looking for more options is that Maybe sometimes you want to go out on a trip by yourself and you don't want to have to think about those things and take those extra precautions. We had one former traveler editor and writer, Lilith Marcus, profile this great company called Adventure Women, which have basically sort of created a safe option for solo female travelers where they take groups of women to hard to reach places in Tanzania or New Zealand. And you know, you can be adventurous and have first time experiences but they also will, if you're somewhere very remote, let you know where you can buy tampons or where you can pick up a prescription if you need it. Or, you know, and there is something to be said, even if you're traveling by yourself, to also have safety in numbers. And I think as Lilith put it very nicely, the comfort of friends. So there are lots of different ways to be able to travel alone. And I think these are providing some great ways to do it. So there have been a number of varied women-only trends. There have been a few hotels that have had women-only hotel floors, and Air India introduced women-only seating sections on their plane. So I am curious to know what you guys think about 
the travel industry creating these enclaves, I guess, of space for solo female travelers. Do you think that actually makes it safer or does it not matter as much? Well, it's interesting, right? Because how much of it is a gimmick? How much of it is an insult? How much of it is support and safety measures? You know, you kind of want to know the motivations behind each of these changes. I don't know. What was the case with, was it Air India? What was the motivation behind that? Yeah, so they had wanted to make female travelers feel more comfortable. Recently, India has had a rash of you know, sexual assaults kind of in various public transportation on trains and metros. And they've been blocking. It's not a huge block, maybe two rows where female travelers can feel safe. But they had a woman who was sexually assaulted on one of their flights. And so they retroactively thought, if this is a problem for now, this is going to be the solution. I mean, Air India for the second year in a row also was one of the first airlines that had a full female from ground crew to pilots fly a very long flight this year. There were three airlines, Lufthansa, Aer Lingus, and Air India, who for International Women's Day had those flights. So I think that they are kind of on the forefront of making themselves more gender diverse, I guess. But I also think that the reserving the seats is actually a safety issue Yeah, no, for, I, for them. I believe that. I, we do have a story coming up about sexual assault in the sky. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but who has the jurisdiction to take care of those kind of problems? If it's over U.S. airspace, it's actually an FBI issue. When you land, it's local authorities. But as a female traveler, you want to think that you are in a safe space, but these spaces are getting more and more confined, and there's fewer flight crew to help out. And the flight crew training kind of depends on the airline, or it depends on the union and any kind of rules they set. So it is, it's pretty cool that Air India is taking, you know, again, taking a stand, trying something out. Would you guys you know, elect to sit in a women-only row? I think I would. I don't think I would think about it, though. I wouldn't be like, ooh, I'm going to fly Air India just to sit in these female-only seats. I think that if that was the last seat on the plane, sure. (laughs) When Billy wrote about the hotels, she was saying that it was Billy Cohen. When she wrote about the hotels, she was talking about how it was insulting because, you know, you get magazines and flowers and things like that. Things that, if that's what we're kind of defined as, don't make it really that much of an impact. But, I mean, I guess... I think if yeah. I was checking in for my flight and I saw that option, I would reluctantly choose it. Because I'll say more, what does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I think it could be, a, a, you know, at times a more pleasant and safer experience if you are feeling concerned about those issues. But at the same time, I, you know, it's placing the responsibility once again on the woman traveler. It's us having to choose to go sit somewhere else that's defined as a safe space rather than addressing the problem itself, which is that sexual harassment is a very real thing that is happening all the time and that's not being confronted. It's sort of a band-aid to a much larger problem. I was talking to a colleague of mine about a story of a woman basically getting groped in the sky and it was a male colleague and he mentioned that she had been groped one other time in the 90s and I'm like, dude, Sorry, but every woman's been groped in public at some point. It's not something that you necessarily call out, you know, from decades past. You know, it's unfortunately we all have that 
story lingering somewhere. So maybe it is. It's great that, you know, the Department of Justice is paying attention, that airlines are paying attention. Um, more needs to be done. We need to see more all-female crews, you know. Or just female crews at all. My dad more and women, I were... Period. Yeah, right. So my dad was talking to me about the package last week, and he had read our story about the two black female pilots who flew for Delta, I guess, what was that, a week and a half, two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. And they were the first black female duo pilots to ever fly in the cockpit for Delta. It's 2017. Right. And my dad said, you know, off the cuff, like, oh, you know, I actually had a female pilot last week, and I think that's the first time I've ever noticed and, and your dad flies constantly, all the time, right? All the time. I mean, he's always in the air. And so to me, it was it was one of those things where, yeah, you, it kind of hits you. Like, you don't see female pilots uh, really ever. There's this incredible quote in that story, too. She, um, she said something along the lines of when she was hired, I think, by Northwest Airlines back in the 90s. She said there were only 12 African-American women who were airline pilots in the U.S. at major airlines, and she knew every single one of them by in name. In the U.S.? That is not by like name. her airline. That is 12 black female pilots in the U.S. 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there just, were hand gestures that just went with that sound too which was pretty I just, incredible I, I was mesmerized for a second <laughs> I, it just it's like astounding to me that sometimes it just doesn't hit you it's still so rare in an industry where historically all stewardesses which is such a antiquated word and the first stewardess was actually male fun fact you learn anything every day. <laughs> no, but I think that even some airlines today who still have requirements on how your hair can be cut and, you know, what makeup you can wear and what height your heels should be, have to be. I think it's important to remember that we've come far, but, you know, still got still got a little ways to go. Well, it was interesting talking about female pilots because in my research for um, the story on women traveling alone and doing more adventure travel, there also noticed, a lot of these companies notice an uptick in women guides as well. So these tour companies are not only attracting more women to come and take the trips, but now more and more female guides are actually leading the trips. And it's creating this sort of whole larger travel community. And women are enjoying the fact that they get to have a female guide and getting an insight to a destination they might not have otherwise gotten, because it's kind of like, uh, you know, everyone's on the same playing field. But it was just so interesting that um, they had out in Colorado, they have professional cyclists that are leading tours. They have female chefs that are leading tours. So it kind of runs the gamut in terms of background. But being able to use local guides in these areas to lead these adventure tours, I think, is really great as well. Because it's something that you kind of typically think of as like, you know, some macho guy leading, uh, you know, a mountaineering tour. But in fact, like I said, you know, Intrepid Travel or REI Adventures, all of them are looking to actually include more women tour guides as well. But I think we also talked about, you know, women winemakers who are also impacting the travel industry and you know in the stereotype of women drinking white wine um, <laughs> I think that it's not an area again that you think about like of course there are women winemakers but that's really not the case is it Lolly? Yeah so in the um, 3,700 plus wineries across California only 4% of them are owned by women now in 2017 
a date we keep on having to repeat. <laughs> I know that'll be the subtitle to this entire this podcast. This is 2017. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I don't think I can recreate that. Noise. Um, but another one of our stories to go with this package was looking at how there is an uptick in women, both in the United States and other parts of the world, who are starting to own their own vineyards and make their own wine. And one of the really interesting things about this story is that women have slightly different palates from men. And so we'll pick up on different flavors. I think particularly we're more sensitive to bitter notes in wine. And so that in turn changes the way that the wine is made and how it's going to taste, which could eventually lend to a far more diverse array of wines, the way they're packaged, the way they're sold. And again, kind of takes much like the mountaineer leading the trek. It takes away that image of it just being a macho wine aficionado boys club, club, Mm -hmm. whether it's pounding the grapes or tasting the wines at the end of it. There's a crazy line in that story about women not being encouraged to go down and moving big casks of yeah. wine. I mean, like that was a reason holding women back from being winemakers. <laughs> like, that's what you outsource that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, own the vineyard. Yeah. <laughs> Surely you can figure something out about how to move the casks. Oh my gosh. Marketing, I think, is a huge issue, whatever we would call it. Um, but going back to what you were saying earlier, Mayor, about women-only hotel floors relying on stereotype, cliche, gimmick, you know, pink, everything. I hate pink. Who cares? (laughs) But, you know, there are actually some great products out there that aren't necessarily playing into type. I think, um, unfortunately, how do you avoid stereotype and cliche? You know, how do you create something that actually works? I think that, so when I was working on a story about it basically came out of this conversation Lale and I were having, which I don't know if any of you listening remember this, but a couple of years ago, Bic came out with a pen for women. And it was there was nothing different about it from a regular Bic pen. It just was a different color. And it just said on the, on the you know, wrapping, Bic for women. Like, we don't need a different pen. It's the same pen. And so we were thinking about kind of like women-geared products that don't suck. And... Part of the way that you do it is you actually solve a problem that real women have. When you're trying to find a hiking backpack, women's torsos are naturally shorter than men's. So you need to find a backpack that fits you. doesn't matter if you are a tall woman or a shorter woman. Your torso is naturally, generally, smaller. So you need to find a backpack that fits you in that way. So there are women's trekking backpacks by Osprey and a few other companies that you can find at REI. That I have a great Gregory one I think I've right. had for a decade. I have a Gregory one as well. And yeah. and those are products that solve a problem that real women are having. And they consult with real women, right? right. I mean, they actually yes. ask women on their team or they do focus groups or something. It's just when you need to go to the source, right? And I think there's something that, well, actually, Pilar, our editor-in-chief, when she went to Zambia with Gloria Steinem, Amy Richards, um, they were there and they brought with them to share with a group of women that they met, um, Thinks. Have you guys heard of Thinks? Yes, I am planning on buying a pair actually this week. Um, so there are a couple period products, which is something that you know people tend to shy away from talking about. Yeah, we're going to talk about periods now if there are any dudes listening. <laughs> who, who are Spoiler. weirdly freaked Spoiler. out by it. We have them. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about three in the story that I wrote. One of them was Thinks, which is a period underwear, which basically 
is going to replace a pad or a tampon for you and they like hold different amounts of flow and instead of having to carry like a box of tampons with you you can just take a pair of underwear that looks like totally normal underwear it's super comfortable and is antimicrobial and you can just wash out in the shower. Diva cups are also popular, which is a menstrual cup, um, which is also something that if you're going on a long trek, we had a contributor, Ashley Halpern, who was gone for a year and she said that they were vital because if you, you know, randomly get your period on the road and you don't have anything with you or you're in the middle of some remote place like Lolly talked about earlier and you can't find a store that has tampons, it's a good alternative, which you can also wash out. And then we also talked about this app called MyPill, which is for birth control users because I think when a lot of us travel and there's a time change and you can't remember you know, like how many hours you need to take your birth control and if you've even taken it in the last 24 hours, it is an app that basically looks like a birth control container and you can set alarms and then you just kind of like pretend pop out the pill as you take it. To remember if you have a take the pill, if you have an IUD, if you're on a patch, just kind of like when you need to take it based on your new time zone and, you know, just general tips and tricks for making sure you're taking it on time. So it's, that, it's super practical, right? Right. That's what we care about. That, like, exactly. I think that, you know, when you go wrong is when you play into those stereotypes. The other things we wrote about were a sports bra from North Face that has a wallet in it. So if you're going on a run in a foreign country and you don't want to be carrying your phone in your hand or your hotel key in your hand while you're going on a jog, which going for a run is one of the best ways to get to know a city, um, you know, you don't have to have that all on you outside of your person at all times. And then another really great product was one that I actually use pretty regularly, which is a pair of roll-up rain boots. And they basically are super packable rain boots. So when you're out in London and it's pouring, um, you don't have to take up so much space in your luggage with a pair of rain boots, which are practical and useful and never end up being able to be packed. I, I need those. I love that. Yeah. It's like you such never need now. to get that. So exactly. But they're or things. Break, or pack that. Right. Solve a problem. Exactly. They solve an actual problem that real women have. I will not go shopping for my lady pen, but I will go <laughs> shopping for a pair of foldable rain boots. Rain boots. Right. And it's, it's just simple things. They don't have to be gimmicky. They can be real products that are actually helpful that don't have to be gender neutral they can be they can be women specific women specific right because you f- they actually help you out you feel like it's a mad men episode otherwise you know, it's not the 1960s it's 2017 <laughs> <laughs> no but i think it goes along with what we were saying i mean think back to our millennial podcast we were talking about how hotels and other travel industry groups are creating these things in hotels, like putting iPads everywhere, when they haven't talked to anyone about actually whether or not that's a good or useful use of their time and money. I think it's the same thing here. Like if you create products for women and you haven't talked to any of them and you also probably don't have any on your team, then it's not going to work out for you. I think it's really that simple. So I think the other fascinating thing that came out of this package we put together, um, you kind of expect the hospitality industry to have a wealth of women, you know, higher up, right? Across it's hospitality, which if we're going to stereotype ourselves, I think people look to us to be hospitable. Yeah, maybe. That's why they hired a woman to be a flight attendant. Right. For her hospitable demeanor. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we all laugh. 
<laughs> Jokes on you. I'm just thinking of how I am on the subway in the mornings. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing hospitable about the subway. <laughs> but then we are working on a story about this as well, but it's really not the case. There aren't that many women higher up as CEOs, VPs, uh, taking charge, you know. What can be done to improve things in this industry? Is it a matter of calling it out? You know, um, what do we do? Well, I think going back to what Meredith said about the conversation she had with her dad when he was flown by a female pilot and his words were, I hadn't noticed. And I think it's making people notice. I think it's making people be aware of it. I think, again, it's 2017, you think a lot of gender equality, I think, to a lot of people, they think most of the work's been done, and it hasn't. And I think it's it, it's talking about stories like, you know, the first black female pilots to run the cockpit on a Delta plane. It's shining a light on these discrepancies within the travel industry. And I think the only way you can try and make things change is by talking about it. Right. Even if these moments or these news stories might seem like a gimmick or a PR ploy or marketing thing, at least it's starting the conversation. Otherwise, it might not be happening. So yes, it might be, you know, giving flowers in women's, you know, only seating section, but that raises yet another issue that we can start to talk about then where maybe before that wouldn't have been in public discourse. Right. And I think when we talked about, you know, first female travelers, I think we still need to keep calling them out and keep, yeah, shining a light on areas that there have been improvement and areas that haven't been improved in hundreds of years. There's really great stories about pioneers. I think we all know Amelia Earhart, but you know, the first woman to circumnavigate the globe, her name was Jean Beret, right? She's from France. She's from the Loire Valley. And she basically had to sneak onto a boat. She, it was like the Tempest. She pretended she was a guy. She was a botanist, by her own right, a very good botanist. She had grown up as an herbalist, and she um, met a man in her field, literally in the field of like Laura Valley. Um, they fell in love, and you know they also were partners, uh, business partners as well. So she snuck on this boat as his assistant, basically, and she, you know, wore the hat, taped down her chest every day. She used a different bathroom so people wouldn't notice. They eventually called her out. They found out that she was a woman because, I mean, she's on this boat for a very long time. And they said it was okay. She stayed on and she ultimately went on to help identify Bougainvillea, like <laughs> the flower. She actually like discovered it. They didn't name it after her. Of course, they named after the ship captain. But, you know, that's still pretty bald. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in the, you know, mid-1700s, right? So at least we don't have to dress up as dudes to get a job these days that's wonderful but these women you know were just incredible and the uh, not to this is an awkward phrase but the balls on these women <laughs> 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 to take those risks and it's it's really about you know not caring what other people think and just doing what feels right but then again it was just earlier this year that the first woman and the youngest person ever to visit every sovereign country in the world succeeded and that was this year uh, where's she from? What's her What's her story? The one that traveled the fastest? Yeah. Yeah, she's from Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> right in our backyard. All right. If you're talking about the same one I'm thinking about. All right. Cassie? Cassie, yes. yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah. Cassie DePicole. Okay, she did in 18 months, 26 days. 
She's a Connecticut native. She's only 27 years old and the first documented woman to visit every country in the world. Now, admittedly, we did a big old story with the first, the youngest guy to visit every country in the world. And it was after that that we kind of got word that, hey, Cassie's out there too. And she did this as well. And she's about the same age. And I also think it's important to note that a lot of these stories say documented because honestly, like, you know, maybe there was someone who has done it before her, but it is important to share her story and kind of show her off if she's the first documented woman. That's exciting. It is. And the first woman to climb, you know, all the major peaks around the world, Um, female guides, you know, like these industries that are considered male-oriented industries, the women are making their mark. Although travel, I would never think to call, I mean, look at this, there's a table of four women right now that's an office full of women. Um, It's not a particularly male-forward industry, at least in our world right now, but. Well, that's why researching these stories is so interesting because I, you know, we tend, I feel like oftentimes I tend, like you were saying, oh, well, of course there's got to be a black female pilot or, you know, and to research these and realize, oh, wow, we, you know, we're still in the minority, even though we're surrounded by women is, is interesting. Again, it brings these conversations to light. Well, and also there was um, a story a couple of months ago, um, some data was released that said by age six, girls are less likely than boys to think they can be brilliant. And I think if we can show six-year-old girls these stories, these pioneers who were brilliant, then maybe they will stop having to think that way. And I think, again, it's all about documenting those stories. And when I was speaking with Padma Lakshmi, that was kind of one of her biggest points is because she travels all over the world for her job and she has no problem bringing her young daughter with her everywhere she goes. And one of the main reasons she said she wanted to do that was for that very reason, was to expose her to these other cultures and make her aware that that traveling is totally normal and experiencing other cultures is completely normal. And that was what gravitated her the most towards traveling and then in particular traveling with her young daughter. Um, when I spoke to her, they, she had just gotten back from India with her daughter um, and they've gone to Alaska, New Orleans and, and all of these places and she feels proud as a mother to have exposed her to all of those different cultures across the world. And you're also an ambassador at that point, too. You're going with your little daughter who is probably, like, you know, happy and outgoing. And, you know, that not every country um, creates that kind of environment for its women, right? So to see Padma is from many places. She's a citizen of the world Mm -hmm. in her own words. But um, she's an American, too, to a degree. And American women, I think we are... We're not afraid to speak our minds. We're not afraid to go places that we probably shouldn't be going, according to whoever says that. So it's it was great to hear from women like Padma. Um, Priyanka Chopra, great interview, Roxanne Gay, on how important it is to travel. What were some of the favorite stories that you read out of that group? I mean, so I talked to Priyanka with the same kind of questions that Jordi talked to Padma with. And I think my favorite thing that she said was she kind of is, is breaking out in the American market. And so she's been traveling a lot between LA and Mumbai and just kind of all over the place. And she said, no roots, only wings. And I loved I love that, that because wow. making your home an airplane of sorts and thinking with that mentality kind of makes you go outside of your comfort zone just by thinking that way. I think if you put the karma out there that you're going to be a citizen of the world and live at 35,000 feet, I think that it's going to change the way you view travel and the way you view yourself and your home. And I think that that was very inspiring. 
I know this is not a woman, but Trevor Noah said that travel is the anecdote to ignorance. So I feel like it's that same sort of mentality. The more you can expose yourself to other culture, the more caring and compassionate and understanding you can be of other cultures. And Trevor's an ally. (laughs) (laughs) He loves women. (laughs) You're right, Trevor. (laughs) All right. So we could go on probably all day. And I think what we'd rather do is hear from you. So please tweet at us, um, hit us up on Facebook, listen to the podcast. Obviously, we are on iTunes and SoundCloud, Travelog. But we want to hear your stories about solo travel, about adventure travel, about women-only hotel floors, or whatever journey you've been on, why you travel, and why it's important as a woman to kind of stay away from home sometimes. You don't have to that was one of the themes of this package. It's why we're not staying home. There's a lot to see, a lot to do, and we need to get out there. So please tell us your stories, and uh, we'll see you on social. Speaking of social, can you guys tell us where we can find you, Lale? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, at Lale Arikoglu. You can look up my byline and find out how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Jordy? You can find me on Twitter at, at Jordy Lippy or on Instagram at, at WellTraveler. And I am at oh hey there mayor. And I'm Danon825 on Twitter and Laura underscore Redman on Instagram. Thank you guys and uh, happy St. Patrick's Day and belated happy International Women's Day, everyone. But also happy Women's Month. <laughs> <laughs>